Thank you, universe, for revealing to me what is of the highest good for all. My name is Andrea, and this is Adult Child. Welcome back to Adult Child, where we take a deep dive into the impact of growing up in a dysfunctional family. And today, we are diving deep with Mr. Elroy Pell, aka Spoonface, aka Spoon the Voice Guy. Now, if you're in the UK, you are probably like, hell yeah. And if you're in the U.S., you're probably saying, who the hell is Spoonface? Let me tell you who Spoonface is. Spoonface is a British TV, film, and voice actor. He is an author. He is a singer, songwriter, producer. He was the singer in a group called Black Legend, which had a number one hit in the U.K. back in 2000. It was actually a cover of Barry Manilow's You See the Trouble With Me. And... Yes, there's more. He is also a mindfulness and spiritual consultant. So I came across him on Insight Timer. So Insight Timer is a meditation app, free meditation app. Highly recommend it. There's hundreds of thousands of meditations on there. Unfortunately, uh, his stuff isn't on there anymore, but he'll explain why. Um, But somehow I came across his affirmation meditation and became a big fan right away. His voice is everything, as you'll soon hear. And I began to listen to them uh, on a daily basis. It became a part of my daily practice was to listen to his affirmations. And it was right around the time that I launched the pod. So I've been following him for the past nine months or so. And I just really loved the content that he was putting on Instagram. And I had a thought back in December. I think I saw one of his posts and I was like, I need to get this guy on my podcast. I know nothing about his childhood. Uh, If he's an adult child, uh, did he grow up in a dysfunctional family? But I'm pretty sure that that's probably the case. There probably is something going on there because I feel like anyone that's interesting has had a, a fucked up childhood. So I messaged him back in December on Instagram. I said, hi, Elroy. I wanted to see if you'd be a guest on my podcast, Adult Child. It is focused on the impact of growing up in a dysfunctional family, but I cover a wide range of topics related to mental and spiritual healing. I find you so intriguing and inspiring, and there must be a powerful backstory that has shaped you into the person that you are today. Would love to have you on. Uh, And so he agreed to be on it. And uh, subsequently, I did do my research before I talked to him. And yes, there was a story there. There was a backstory behind him. Now, this conversation with him could not have come at a better time for me for where I'm presently at, for what's presently going on with me. You know, I am in this kind of pivotal transitional moment, you know, of, of taking a leap of faith, you know, into my purpose or Or perhaps it's more appropriate if I say I'm being pushed off the ledge into my purpose. I will get raw and vulnerable and get into all that in an episode very, very soon. But there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of uncertainty. But there's also a ton of hope and a ton of signs from the universe that I am exactly where I'm supposed to be. 
So I'm just really trying to stay in the present moment and stay in a place of unwavering faith in the universe. You know, the affirmation that I have been using over the past week or so is thank you, universe, for revealing to me what is of the highest good for all. I turn this over and I allow. And I know, I know that this podcast, that me being a communicator on this topic is my purpose. I know that that is, you know, the highest good for all. And I just have to stay rooted in this faith and trust that my higher power in the universe will deliver. All right. So before we go to Elroy, I just want to give a shout out to my newest Patreon members. Patreon is where I host weekly support groups and post additional content. It is also a place for those of you who have $5 a month to spare, who love this podcast and want to say thank you, Andrea, for all of the hard work that you do, just like these humanitarians that I'm about to name did. So thank you, thank you, thank you too. Francisca, Danielle, Holly, Robin, Nicole, Alice, Amy, Ashley, Amanda, Taylor, Holly, Amanda, Christina, Ryan, Anna, and Amber. You guys are some real fine individuals, let me tell you. Another way that you can say thank you, Andrew, for all the hard work that you do is that you can give me a damn five-star rating on Apple and Spotify. It is my pleasure to introduce Elroy Powell, aka Spoonface, aka Spoon the Voice Guy, aka a really fucking cool person, and really excited to have you here. Welcome. Thank you so much. Now, what an introduction. Yes. It doesn't yeah. get much better than that. Yeah, really fucking cool person. That's just in your bio, like in your Wikipedia, it should just say that. Spoon the Voice <laughs> Guy, a really cool fucking person. <laughs> <laughs> So as I said to you before, so what I found your um your affirmations on Insight Timer. Did you get rid of them? I just went back on the other day to listen to them. Okay, so do you want the do you want the short story or do you want the long story? I want the real story. So this is the real story. I started um sharing my affirmations and meditations on Insight Timer. You know, genuinely supporting people. Um and the thing is some of those platforms, they benefit from people not really needing a result. You know, people stuck in secondary benefits and just wanting a band-aid over their situation, which is fine. Mm -hmm. But when I'm in a private group, my own private circle, and people say to me, Spoon, I need your help. Or people are saying things that show me they need some direction with their situation. I'm going to say, look... You're dealing with some bullshit. You're dealing with some secondary benefits. You need to go and be honest about if you're ready to create that shift. If you're ready to create that shift, then let's have a proper conversation. Give them a link. And inside time, I got upset that I charge people for my time to um, give them one-to-one -one sessions to assist with their situation. And there are so many testimonials about how my affirmations and everything else everything else is assisted people 
And a couple of these, couple of people um, got in their emotions at, at that platform and they were like, okay. So they just, they didn't even have the decency. I had a live the same day. They didn't have a decency to um, let everyone know or just have a conversation with me. Mm-hmm. So I was very disappointed with the lack of professionalism, disappointed that they're a wellness platform and they're putting money first. And if mm-hmm. they have an issue with their finances, then they need to look at their business model and rejig it. But I'm not here to rip anyone off. I'm not here to um, do anything untoward. And it really disappointed me. So the short answer is I've got all of my meditations on my own platform now. <laughs> okay, well, I'm glad I found you before that shit happened. So that was kind of a long way for me to say. <laughs> I initially brought that up. <laughs> was that? So I found you on there. Uh, you were big. Your affirmations were big for me as I was launching this podcast. I, I think I even reached out to you and told you that. And then I just started following you on Instagram. And I didn't. I asked you to be on the podcast, not knowing much of your story, but I knew that you had a story. Because as I said to you before, people, interesting people typically have fucked up stories or fucked up childhoods. Uh, So then I started stalking you, mildly stalking you, listening to podcasts, watching you on YouTube, uh, reading everything. I read your book too. It's, well, both of them, but the... um, the first one that you wrote about the secrets of the in the music biz what's what's that one called again um, oh how to think be on the chart position yeah i love it um so what i wanted to ask you was that you talked about racism growing up in the uk as i said i'm not that familiar with race relations there i did just i did look up though the demographics it's very small percentage i didn't realize how f- it said it was like like 1.5% of like the population is a black Car- 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 Caribbean's Caribbean. How do you say, do you say Caribbean or do you say Caribbean? I say Caribbean. I say the Caribbean, but then if I'm saying like pirates of the care, I say Caribbean. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to the Caribbean, but I'm watching pirates, pirates of, the of the Caribbean. Yeah. Yeah. That's the worst. All right. Yeah. Pirates of the Caribbean. No, that does not. No, Pirates of the no, Caribbean. No. Caribbean. Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah, exactly. Um. So yeah, so there's so there's, so there's there's not that many of you there, huh? Yeah, you know, and if you were to for a long time, especially when I was growing up, if you were to just watch the television, you would think that uh, people of African descent were taking over the country. <laughs> uh, committing heinous crimes and is all because of those people but yeah only a small percentage of oh, people from the caribbean <laughs> i don't know i'll get back to you on that okay i'm gonna have to do some research okay. so your family came from jamaica so how, your grand yeah. your grandparents so how did they make that migra- were they just like hey let's go do this or they were just encouraging people to or how did that come about but ultimately you know you want the best life for yourself and you're kind of sold Back then, they were sold this impression that you come over here, you have jobs. And as the motherland, um, the UK was paved with gold and there's so much opportunity. But um, uh, there was for a lot of people. But when you come over, when you, when they went over there, they got faced with no dogs, no blacks, no Irish for a while. And it was hard to rent property and it was hard to bring kids over and, and so on. And in a way, it was really bad, um, of course, as you'd imagine. But at the same time, it actually helped to... Um, forge a sense of community, people were a lot more helpful and um, they found ways to 
climbed the ladder. They had systems like what they call a partner scheme, where people put money into a pot and every week someone took money out and could use that to buy property or whatever they needed. So, you know, you adapt and you find ways to make it work. And a lot of that resourceful energy is what's helped people of the Caribbean and people of African descent um, survive um, in hostile situations. Um, But, you know, I loved growing up in the UK. You know, I faced um, some racism, some overt racism when that was massive before you got arrested and sent to jail for it. It, You know, growing up at school and so on. And so it was challenging dealing with some of that pressure externally, but also going home and having, you know, to deal with domestic violence, like your parents fighting and all that kind of stuff. Um, Again, you develop mechanisms for surviving. You think it's normal. Um, You feel like you're not seen, you're not heard you're not listened to, and then that can potentially have an impact on your relationships later on down the line. And I had to really go inside myself and heal um, that whole thing in order to move forward in my own career, in my own situation, in my relationships especially. Mm -hmm. So you describe your upbringing as dysfunctional yet loving. Um, You talk about domestic violence. Did you feel unsafe? That's a great question. Um, Consciously or subconsciously? You know what? I'm going to keep it 100, right? My dad was a, a bully to my mom. And uh, what he said when, and he treated her horrendously at times. And because my mom would try to obviously defend herself against him and was not successful, there were times I felt like my mom would take it out of me when my dad wasn't there. And that was, a, that was the only time I ever felt unsafe. If I felt like my mom was in a mood, I'd make sure I wasn't around much. I'd be in that bedroom or in that back garden uh, or at my grandmother's house if, if I could because I felt her energy would be directed at me. And we've had the great, the beautiful thing is I've had that conversation with her as an adult, you know, and she's apologised and we've cried together mm-hmm. talking about that, you know, and it's been such a beautiful part of the healing process around that all and you know as i said to you before i get as a as an adult now my dad was he wasn't equipped my my mom wasn't equipped they were young they didn't know how to deal with anger deal with their emotions deal with jealousy deal with um pressures in a very uh, in a racist society with limited opportunities for them um, and it's not an excuse, and I'm not trying to give them a way out, but it's just where they were. Sometimes you just don't have the tools. Um, and so that was that's that was something I realized uh, later on that really helps me with reframing a lot of what of, of what I felt and what I understood from what I came to accept as an emotional association or emotional associations from that situation. Yeah, I mean, what I always like to say is that it's like our parents are just a product of their upbringing as well. Right. And this dysfunction doesn't just like pop out of nowhere. This shit gets passed along. And especially if your parents were, I guess they're considered first generation, right? Yeah. And so it's been great to break that cycle and it's a choice that we can make. You don't have to be, you know, that's where I was from, but I don't have to stay there. So for me, I I mean, I, I knew that my upbringing was less than ideal, but I was really oblivious to how much it truly had impacted me. Was there a pivotal moment for you where you realized just how much your childhood impacted you? It came in waves. (laughs) So when I was a teen and I started to get more independence, as in 
uh, my first kind of day job. I was working, I think, at Marks and Spencer's and I get some money. And What's that? I'm in the US. I don't know what that is. <laughs> oh, sorry. Marks and Spencer's is like, a, <laughs> it's like, it's, it's like one step down from Harrods kind of thing. Okay. I don't know if I'm putting, putting this right, but it's a department store and they used to okay. be great food. I haven't been for a while. Really great food. And people go there for the clothing and stuff back in the day. You know, um, certain people, older people, really. Uh, but the food was always just fantastic. And so I'd work there um, and save some money, go to uni, and suddenly I could travel. And then I went off to like one of these dodgy 18 to 30s uh, Greek island things with some friends of mine. And that was when I realised, because then you're out there, you're talking to people, you're partying, doing stuff, and you're like, hold on a minute, the world is bigger than what I thought, and we can do things differently. And, oh my gosh, I can use what I've learned and who I am to create my own way. And I started to sort of look at that. But actually, also, being a child and seeing some of the challenges that my parents faced, I knew I didn't want to go through that, and I wanted a different life. And so everything I did, I wanted to do well at school. I wanted to, tr- I wanted to travel. I wanted to figure out how to save and move forward in my situation. I was in really inquisitive, really kind of, I love to um, read and watch programs that um, before YouTube, when you had everything at your dis- you know, disposal, flipping um, wildlife programs and art programs and Tomorrow's World and all this kind of stuff, which was like a program about technology and future developments. My brain was just always aligned with figuring out how I can move as far away as possible from this situation that we're in, challenge was. What did your dad do for work? He did a number of things over the years. He was like a, a minicab driver for a while. Um, he, he worked for British Rail. So he was doing that and he worked hard, you know, like I remember sometimes he would cycle at city times in the morning to get to the railroad, um, do the work and it was like real manual work and then cycle home again and he'd be doing that with consistency, you know. Um, So he he wasn't afraid of work. So just sometimes didn't didn't know how to deal with authority too well. Mm -hmm. Um, That that created an issue at times. Mm -hmm. But... um, always wanted to wanted to do the right thing and my mum was always very supportive she, my mum loves you she's got your back she's she's doing the best she can to be there for you you know yeah that reminds me i wanted to make a comment about what you said about your mom because i was actually going to ask you did she um i was going to ask you if there was any emotional parentification going on because a lot of the times a mother will use a, their child kind of as a, a surrogate spouse if they're not getting it from their spouse. But it sounds like she was actually taking out her anger on you. But would she also use you as like an emotional support or confidant? Would she try to like confide in you at all? My mom, my mom, we had a great relationship as well at the same time because for a long time um, it was just me and her. And so we went through all of these challenges together. You know, I remember my mom running away from my dad and we, you know, we'd go into um, shelters or like there'd be, um, you know, I remember having a burger before going to talk to someone about going into a woman's home and that kind of thing. And I know, I know that might seem weird, but those, those uh, might seem alien, but a lot of those literal experiences together brought us really close. And I think I felt like I felt an obligation to protect, you know, to protect her and to make things safe and and so on from a young age and uh, carried that into adulthood, into my other relationships. 
Definitely. Did they get divorced? They were never married, but they split up, you know, about 20 years ago now or something. Do you have a relationship with your father? No, out of choice. I tried. I tried to stay in touch. But see, I have, I'm a strong believer in boundaries and I encourage my clients to really recognize the power of boundaries. Just being honest about how someone's energy will impact your well-being. And if you don't believe, doesn't matter who they are, if you don't believe that it will have, it will contribute to your sense of peace, then, then don't go there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I think with you and your situation, it seems like you are somebody that developed a ton of resiliency. Um, I, I'm thinking too that the relationship with your grandmother, that probably helped a lot too, because they say, if there is one member of the family that can kind of provide that emotional support and be there for you, that that can really counterbalance a lot of the impacts of the dysfunction. Um, but what do you think like the strongest limiting belief uh, was that resulted from your childhood? It was definitely not being seen, not being heard. So when you see the house being smashed to pieces and all that kind of happening and the first one or two times you try and say, stop it, you know, this is, what you're doing and you get ignored or you get shouted up, shouted at to go to your room, you soon learn that what you say doesn't matter and, and what you do doesn't count. And so I think I, for a long time, used to work really hard at school thinking that if I did really well, that would prevent any issues at home or that I would have to go really far to make my presence felt in order to prevent a situation or if someone crossed my boundaries and, and I didn't like something, I'd go from zero to 100 real quick and then feel bad about it, maybe thinking I overreacted in that situation. You know, so I was often flipping between how I saw my dad uh, respond to situations and how I saw my mom respond to situations um, until I found my own way to respond to a situation, <laughs> you know, which worked for me. And I talk about that. Did you did you ever talk as a child? Did you ever share with somebody what was going on in your home, or did you just com- keep that completely to yourself? Kept it to myself. You know, I f- it felt like the the elephant heard in the room. You know, everyone knew. People would come around, and they knew. Well, I'd go to my grandmother's house. She would know, but no one really spoke about it. So I just thought, okay, well, you know, what's there to say? What's there to do? And I just want to say, when it comes to trauma, as you know, you know, people often make comparisons and they think, well, this is not as bad or this is worse. Your situation is your situation, what you've been through, because it has an impact on you. Anyone listening, you know, as long as it has an impact on you to the point you felt powerless and you felt so in fear, afraid for your life, it's going to create some kind of trauma and it's okay to acknowledge it. Well, that was my thing. I mean, I thought because I was not physically or sexually abused and because, you know, we were kind of well-to-do and my needs were always accounted for and most of my wants were always accounted for i didn't consider what i went through as trauma and i think in some ways that kind of more insidious subtle trauma can be even more impactful in the sense that people never even realize that they experienced any trauma at all you know yeah so um so then how did you find out how did you start getting interested in music music so so as a child I remember I'd come home from school and walking down the road I knew if my dad was home because you could hear it walks away you could hear the, <laughs> you could hear the vibration of the windows you know it was like he, 
he was running a sound system in the living room. And to be honest, a lot of the time it was fun because, you know, I like music. And um, the only times it wasn't fun really was if he wasn't in a good mood, you weren't sleeping that night because he's playing all the way through to the next day. And uh, if you've got homework to do, you're sat, I'm sat, I don't even know how I did it. I'm sat at the table, music blaring. So then when did you start singing though? Well, I was going to say, because of that, even though at times I don't like it, it encouraged me to sing and it, it encouraged me to, to learn music. It's a very unique approach to learning music, uh, learning to sing, but without a doubt, it influenced my tastes, um, reggae, soul, um, and growing up in the UK at the time, um, jungle or drum and bass, later on a bit of garage, a bit of house. Um, and just being open to fusing all of that, you know, 80s pop, you know, I'm showing my age now. But it was it was definitely um, from there. And then I, I visited Jamaica and every, like all my cousins, everyone out there was just, you know, there was a song all the time. The latest song or whatever, everyone knew the lyrics, you were encouraged to express yourself like that. And I'm glad because like music is such a great way to connect with yourself and um, let your feelings be known. Um, not just externally to other people, but to yourself to really connect with what you feel. So then what is the origin story of Black Legend? So Black Legend was two Italian producers. Um, I think they don't work together anymore, but uh, they were looking for someone to do this Barry White vocal. (laughs) And Lisa Millip, who was a great friend of mine, who is a great friend of mine, uh, she was signed to Defective Records at the time, knew the guys, and said, look, I know this young lad, you know, get him over, let him have a go. She, we went over to Italy, because this song was already out as a, a sample, as a bootleg. Um, so then I got asked to revocal it. They did their magic with the mix and put it out. And then I got back to the UK, not thinking much of it. And then I got told, you're going to have to do, which was, at the time, the largest chart show in the UK, it's called Top of the Pops, no longer around. You're going to have to do Top of the Pops, you're going to have to tour, you're going to have to go across Europe and do all this kind of stuff. And that was my introduction to the music industry. What were you doing at the time? I was studying. I was at uni. So I was like second year of law, um, not liking it much, actually. It was was a struggle because of a lot of family stuff. I couldn't focus. And then this came, it wasn't very hard to say, yeah, okay, I'll give that a go. But also, you know when, you know, certain opportunities only going to knock once in a lifetime, right? So it's yeah. like, yo, I'm taking this. Let's run with this and see where this goes. So then how how long between when she said, hey, I know these guys, to like you go, coming back and they're like, yeah, you're going to be on top of the pops. Like, are we talking like weeks, days? It's like a couple of months, if that. Wow. Seriously. Wow. And then when, and then how long after that did it just like blow the fuck up right away? Yeah, it was like June um, 2000 that the official release was out and it was just crazy. It was just everywhere. Now, these were the times when you sold a lot of records. Um, and, you know, I mean, now pe- people are, doing, are starting to do what a, a small minority, I should say, are doing well now through streaming and so on, but this is before streaming, CDs and, well, vinyl was still about as well. 
so there's um there was just a real opportunity to really cash in um and there was a lot of promotion a lot of i think it's so disposable music now mm-hmm. um i have no clue who's at the top of the charts half the time and it doesn't matter and that's what i talk about in my book how to think beyond the chart position actually it's more about sustainability in whatever we choose to do but especially in the music industry and so then did, did did people just start recognizing you like when you were out? Like, what was that experience like? That was insane. It was insanity. I just remember going from a kid from North London to obviously Black Legend. And it was just like, the, you know, the guy, the voice of Black Legend. And it was just, I couldn't, you know, go down the street and I couldn't do any of that without people going, hey, you're that guy. You know, and it was really, I was, I felt like I was really grounded because I came from real super humble beginnings. You know what I mean? And I just felt like, you know, I just want to see how I can make the most of this opportunity for as long as it goes and then move on to the next part of my life. Uh And so then how long did that song stay on the charts? It still gets played now on Kistory, but it, it, it was literally, it was in the charts for a while, but then I think Kylie Minogue, um, knocked us down to the <laughs> yeah knocked us down and we had a we knocked off Sonic I think the week before we went in um, and yeah so it was in the charts a while but number one I think only for one week but in the charts for ages and just getting played on holiday islands and all of that stuff but for me it was more about the experience you know a lot of people want to get a number one record and especially in those times where you, you you really had a number one record. And so learning about the industry um, was phenomenal. And it really, I, t- I took away so much from the experience. It's priceless. And so then you hit, you know, you hit kind of a, an emotional bottom after this, correct? Absolutely. I think it's, so I feel like some people, all right, let's keep it 100. Um, you know, RIP, you know, Amy Winehouse, Kurt Cobain, and other people. I've been doing a series for Crowd Network called Death of a Rockstar. And there are so many profoundly beautiful and talented musicians that hit a hard time in the industry and self-medicated and took their lives, didn't realize the beauties, the beauty of their souls and, and how much power they had and made choices that really hurt them, you know what I mean? And so for me, it was... Um, important to be honest that there was a stage where I had to start from scratch. I went back to living at my mom's, sleeping on the floor because the house was full. My brother was there with his partner. Um, and, I, you know, I, there was no space other than a living room. And I was sort of there most of the time. How did that happen, right? You have this huge success. You're bringing in money. Were you just, like, blowing it? Or how do you go from that to living on your mom's basement, in the basement? Yeah, that's a great question. So I don't, I never did. Uh, drugs or anything like that. I'm I'm not a um, boring. Listen, I got my vices, but you know, um, they're just not drugs and alcohol. And, you know, for for me, it was just like making the wrong choices about the people in my circle Mm. and not not knowing how to make my money work for me. Mm -hmm. So creating, you know, multiple streams of income. Like today we see Rihanna and everyone else, um, merchandise and makeup and mm-hmm. you know what i mean i didn't know how to do any of that well how could you exactly i'm just a kid right? i'm just like just turned 21 years old didn't have the right advice to, to take me to that point 
Um, and so after a while, you just start to eat into the money. Um, the opportunities come. And that, there's a lot of institutionalized racism as well. If you were, uh, if you were of African descent making music, it was so tough to get the playlistings and the presence on music, TV and so on to give you the presence to go forward with your career. And so uh, from a record label perspective, when I rocked up and said, yeah, we've done Black Legend, but I want to do Garage and I want to throw some reggae in and all this kind of stuff. It wasn't cool to do that mm -hmm. 20 years ago. Um, they didn't want to explore that. They wanted to play it safe and do a house version of this and that and whatever else. And that just didn't fit who I was. And so um, the follow-up record didn't do well. I felt we should have done an album of beautiful, soulful music, collaborations, all that kind of stuff. But what I love about having had to accept that situation meant to me was that I had to, I, I, I made a decision to do what was right for me. Mm -hmm. And I, even though I was sleeping on my mama's floor, I felt so at peace knowing that I'm making the music I want to make. I'm about to embark on business and a journey that made sense for me. And for the first time in a long time, I felt I was making the choices I wanted to make. You know, when you are signed to a major label and so on, there's so much pressure to do what they say. Otherwise, you don't get that budget for the promotion and the studio and this and that, which they recoup anyway. So I just went on a journey of, of just finding myself and being me. Um, and that took time, took a long time. And that money that was made got during that time got eaten into. And there's taxes and there's uh, management to pay. And there's, you know, and my, at the time, my manager was actually quite good with um, supporting because he recognised the situation and seen it many times before. But still, people have to be paid. Bills have to be paid. You've got family that need things and so on. So it gets eaten into it. If you're not finding a way to make your money work for you, you're going to get stung. So now it's a whole different bag. And I encourage people to look at creating multiple streams of income, um, to look at how you can invest so that you get a return on your money and, and all that kind of stuff so you can keep, you know, keep it sustainable. So did you grow up in a home with a higher power? In terms of, did my, my family yeah, have a relationship family. with? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, my, my Jamaicans love God. And yeah. so even if my dad was cussing a bad word, straight afterwards, God would be in the mix somewhere. <laughs> or he'd be quoting a Bible verse. And that, would, that contradiction would always make me smile. <laughs> um, but yeah, massively leaning towards acceptance of the existence of a higher power, without a doubt. You know, that's how in a lot of ways, religion was used to control people of African descent in the Caribbean for a long time, you know? And so this is, for, for me, what I found interesting, you know, people have really go at Jamaicans and others for being homophobic, but they got it from Christianity. Mm. You know what I mean? So go and talk <laughs> to the people. <laughs> so what can I say? So what was your relationship like with God or a higher power as a kid? Was that something that you, you connected with? Did you, did you have, did you feel the presence of a higher power or was that something you didn't connect with until later on? I always felt the presence of a higher power that I couldn't explain. It wasn't the same as, um, 
what I saw my grandparents connect with, like going to church and dressing a certain way and saying certain things. It was never that. It was an energy that I felt I could connect with and um, get a sense of reassurance. And later on, learn to ask for what I want from. You know, I, I believe the energy of the universe that connects us, um, when you, you lean into it and honestly, openly ask, and start to lean into that space of visualizing what you asked for, um, it becomes a reality, it manifests, it materializes. Mm -hmm. So then what, what was kind of the journey or the backstory as far as stepping into this, having this be part of your purpose, right? Having this be part of your, your big idea um, to be kind of a, a, a message, a, a vessel for sharing this message? How did that come about? When I look at it, I think I've always been that guy that would just take a moment and have a, have a conversation, hold space and listen to people mm -hmm. going through stuff. And so over time, um, it just became more of a conscious thing. And then I went away and started, um, you know, getting involved in courses. I'd meet people that would inspire me. So how about you try this, do some Reiki? Or how about you do an emotional freedom techniques course? How about you, you know, check out some affirmations and what, you know, and I started to just go on a journey and stay open much later on. When you go through stuff, when you when you hit, especially like I said, like I said earlier about having skin in the game, often we don't want to do anything unless it's unless we feel some kind of pain. And when you feel that pain, you say, I don't want to feel that anymore. What do I need to do? in order to stop that coming back for me. I've been trying this thing over and over again and getting the same result. I don't want it anymore. What, what else can I do? And so you started to go, I started to go and explore things. And then when I started to explore, I started to realize that everything I have, um, everything I feel, all that I am, isn't just me. Like people have contributed in some way. People have helped me, they've opened doors, they've been kind, they've been patient, they've been loving. And when we can create a cycle, of giving, we create sustainability, we grow communities, and life continues to be amazing. Is there, uh, if I were to ask you, like, what is a very profound spiritual experience that you've had, what, what would first come to mind? There have been many, but it's not, <laughs> it's not clouds and magic and stardust. Mm -hmm. You know, it's recognizing that I, I stood there as a child and saw my dad beat my mom until she urinated on herself and he wouldn't allow her to clean herself up. And I had to witness that. And here I am, a number one selling artist, and here I am in the Maldives for almost a month. And here I am, when you're in that position where you've hit your lowest and you feel like you can't get anywhere, the, 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 you're in a pit and you don't see any light. When you realise that, actually, I came out of that pit I'm flying through the sky right now. Um, when you can look back and recognize where you came from and where you are, that's a miracle. That's a spiritual um, awakening, a recognition. So really, for me, it's not stardust and magic. It's taking the time to become aware of where we are and be honest about our sense of peace around everything. Mm -hmm. So you talked about how we, you know, it takes, it's through great pain that comes great change, right? And I know for me, it takes a shitload of pain <laughs> before I'm willing to do something. But then we feel this pain, we take this action. And what happens for a lot of us 
is that we then start to feel better and we start doing, we stop doing that shit, right? We stop doing that shit that helped us get us out of that rut. How, how have you, or do you have any advice or how have you been able to cultivate that and, and keep those practices in place, even when things start to get smooth again? Absolutely. Um, so I start with something I call flow, freedom, love, ownership, worth. And there are lots of modalities that connect with this sense of flow. But really recognizing we can give ourselves permission to do something differently, to think differently, to put the boundaries in place that we want, to ensure that we're safe and we have the environment that we want, to give us the best opportunity to be our best selves. L for love, loving ourselves. Like How often do you make it a thing to love yourself so just sit down and write a list of things you can do for you that are going to give you a sense of peace we're busy being mums dads running businesses being there for everyone else feeling guilty feeling bad about doing stuff love yourself with consistency make it a thing ownership own your contribution to the shit in your situation you know what i mean and also acknowledge the truth of where you are here i am i don't like where i am i want to be somewhere else well, what, what are the steps you're going to take to get there? And worth, recognising your worth. You know, I recognise from my own personal experiences, you let things happen when you don't really value who you are. And why is anyone going to value you if you don't value yourself? So that's the, that's, that's the simple, that's a, they are the starting blocks. Gratitude, recognising what you already have in your situation that you can be grateful for. And I'm not talking about mountains of riches, but the smallest things that you feel healthy, that you can walk upstairs. I remember there was a time I had um, discovered I had sleep apnea and I didn't realise until one night I couldn't breathe and because of martial arts training, I managed to fight my way up, woke up. <laughs> but I was, I was so out of breath. I was my ex-partner that I was with at the time. I couldn't, they were just laying next to me asleep. I couldn't even like call to them, like get me an ambulance. Like I was just, I just had to like prop myself up and just breathe like proper like in out just remember what the hell to do with my lungs and then manage to get on the phone and say like i need to go to the hospital there's something right and so be grateful that you can breathe and we hear this all the time but i don't give a damn especially coming out of a pandemic be grateful you can walk and do all the great things that you can do it doesn't need to be profound stuff and um outside of gratitude I have this whole thing of awareness, acceptance, action. Being every single day, every day, take 45 seconds. You don't have to be a massive um, meditator and sit there with your legs folded on a mountain or on a locust <laughs> or whatever on a pond. Just stop, 45 seconds, breathe. And let yourself feel what you feel. If you feel like shit, I feel crap today. I hate myself, I feel fat, I look ugly. Say all the stuff that you feel shit about. Get it out of your system because when you're not letting it out, you're creating um, pain and, and issues in the fascia in your body and you're holding it and carrying it around. Let it go. And then say, even though I feel this way, I deeply trust, love, and accept myself anyway. Mm. You know, and crack on with what you got to do. And the next phase, acceptance. Accept where you are. Accept the truth of your contributions to your situation. It's my fault. I, I should leave this person but I love the money that's coming in right now. I'm worried about what my family are going to say about me. I'm worried about the kids. I'm worried about those. Then that's a secondary benefit. The truth is, it's scary to step away from it. 
just acknowledge it, just accept it, it's okay. And then the next bit, well, where do you want to be? People go and see therapists and everything else. I think you should. If you need help, go see a therapist. When you're trying to create goals for yourself, give yourself permission to say, I want to be this. I want to be there. I want these people around me. I want that environment. Claim it. Because when you plant that seed subconsciously, you start to lean towards that place that takes you there. So accept, awareness, acceptance, action. I don't know how to respond to that. <laughs> 45 seconds. 45 seconds. So you've got to do yeah. 45 seconds of that every day. It compounds. It builds up like pennies in a bottle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, the one thing that I struggle with, and I'd love to get your impact, input on this, is when I do start to kind of go down the train of negativity or that things aren't going to happen, I can't achieve my desires. And then I realize that I'm having these thoughts and then that compounds on top of it. I was like, well, because I know it's all about energy, right? And so then I'm like, oh, I'm having these negative thoughts that it's not going to happen. Now it's definitely not going to happen because I'm thinking these thoughts. (laughs) Yeah. And that's the great thing about affirmations is it helps us squeeze out those negative thoughts. We have about twelve to 60,000 thoughts and most of them are negative and most of them are repetitive every day. Mm-hmm. So, like, when you can make that 45 seconds, that time, to just focus on saying positive things that come from your journey with awareness, acceptance, action, then you allow yourself to squeeze out the negative thoughts and start moving forward towards that place. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk a little bit about what you mean by secondary benefit? Yeah. So, um, some, some people are maybe sick and they've done all the tests blood test, everything comes back, nothing's wrong. And sometimes things slip through the net, people don't catch it. But on the whole, they're like, oh, I feel so sick. And, and, and really, some people, they're not really sick. They just like the love and attention they get. Mm. They like the benefits, the financial benefits they get from the system or otherwise. So they say, you know, it's better I just stay sick. It's easier that way. Or you're in a relationship, person's not, person's boring. You don't feel fulfilled. But you got a house, you're stable, you got a car, you got a good job, nice neighborhood. Just hang, hang on in there. But you're, you feel like your life has been wasting away. Secondary benefits holding you there. Maybe you're, maybe you're, you've gained weight and you, you're a beautiful person, but you don't like the attention you get when you're slim. So you stay fat. There are so many examples of secondary benefits. So when you're ready to move out of that place, because it's safe and easy, some powerful stuff can happen, but it's scary. I'm not going to say it's easy. It's not. It's challenging. It's going to be different for everyone. But how badly do you want it? What do you think are some good ways to for somebody to identify? I mean, you just gave some examples, but to identify whether or not this is a secondary benefit or not. I honestly believe being honest about how you feel to start with about you. So you don't have to think about the thing. When you stop and pause for 45 seconds and you just start being honest about what you feel, I feel this pain in my chest, I feel this tension in my head, and then just slowly start to trace about, well, why do I feel this tension in my head? I was thinking about so-and-so. Why are you thinking that way about so-and-so? It's just about being, in my opinion, it doesn't need to be complicated. It's just about being honest to yourself. Mm-hmm. We know, we have the answers. The whole point of seeing a coach and a therapist a lot of the time 
It's just so we have a safe place, to be honest. Because we're worried about being judged. We're worried about everything else that comes with it that makes us feel smaller and inferior and all that kind of stuff makes us feel like we're not going to get resources and kicked out of the tribe and all that kind of stuff. And we can accept, man, I, I really don't like this person that I wake up next to every day. They make me feel sick. I'm tired of being broke. I'm tired of having no money. This is stupid. Why don't like, be honest about it? And then you start to recognize, you know what, I'm staying in this job because I'm worried about the responsibility that comes with the promotion. And if I get it wrong, people are going to laugh at me. And if you can be honest about those things, you can then say, well, what do I need to do to ensure I don't make those things that make me vulnerable or exposed? Maybe I've got to go and do a course. Maybe I need to go and develop my skills. You know, it's just honesty. We, how honest are we with ourselves? Yeah. Like every time he touches me, I've, I, I gag. Like <laughs> I want to throw up and then, touches me. And not in a good way. <laughs> not in a good way. <laughs> so what has been like your favorite acting project that you've been a part of? Two projects I absolutely love for. Three, but two especially. Um, Fight my family because everyone on set from the crew to the cast were just so lovely to me. Mm. Um, I especially loved working with Nick Frost, who He's just, he's, he's just so warm and fun. Um, and then there's Jingle Jangle, the director, David E. Talbot. He'd written this years ago. And the attention to detail, the wonderment of the story, the cast he put together, it's just phenomenal. A Christmas story that's just going to keep going and going. Um, so so awesome and then my, my okay I, I showed up on star wars yeah i was gonna say uh, years who'd, ago who'd you play i was like this um intergalactic gangster in mascatana's castle called ross Aweno. <laughs> yeah I as mean, you do intergalactic gangster i mean geez oh uh, yeah that's what it is yeah that's right was that so uh, to be the title of your next album intergalactic gangster i know right yes that was a great experience, for sure, absolutely. And, you know, I was blown away as a, as a, as a Star Wars fan, mm-hmm. uh, seeing Wookiees and all sorts. Um, phenomenal. Uh, but I, I feel blessed. As I said to you before, this, these are the, the spiritual awakenings and the magic that I refer to. You know, the, the, the everyday things that I could see, feel, and touch that have come from perseverance, from consistency, from letting go, from healing mm-hmm. and acceptance, being open to opportunities that have come my way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I would imagine you're human and your work, I, I think you're human, right? Are you an intergalactic gangster? <laughs> neither confirm <laughs> um, But working in kind of showbiz, right? Like there's going to be times when disappointment comes up right or anxiety or i mean i would imagine that that still pops up from time to time yeah and it's good it's healthy you know if you if you didn't worry about stuff if you didn't have that pang in your chest if the adrenaline didn't kick in you're not doing the right things (laughs) um you need a thick skin without a doubt you need to be ready for disappointment um and you, you you need to be kind to yourself because not everyone will be. Do you have a go-to uh, affirmation right now? Let's make one for you. Let's do it. Yeah. Um, 
Take well, a deep breath. Okay. And just relax. And um, I really want you to really connect with yourself deeply. You take another big deep breath in through your nose and out through your mouth. And let me know where you feel any aches, any tightness, anything at all. Tension in my head. Tension in your head. And if you were to give that tension uh, an intensity from zero to 10, what would it be? 10 being the highest. Mm, pretty low, like a four. Okay, cool. It might just be the headphones too tight, right? <laughs> <laughs> Take another big deep breath in and release. So what I'm going to ask you to do is think about everything in your life, everything in your situation that you feel grateful for. Think about how it lifts you, how it makes you feel strong and empowered and safe and loved. And let it really fill you. Let it really swirl around you. And what we're going to do is we're going to ask you to squeeze all the muscles in your body when I say so. And as you squeeze, you're going to visualize any of that doubt or anxiety or anything that would lead you to where you want to be, I want you to visualize it crumbling away and let the space be filled with all of that sense of gratitude. So take a big deep breath in through your nose. Squeeze all the muscles in your body. Hold five, four, three, two, one, release. And just continue breathing in a cycle of breathing that works for you. And we're going to do that two more times. Take a big deep breath in through your nose. Squeeze and hold. Five, four, three, two, one, release. And as you breathe, really let that sense of all that you can think of, gratitude and love and empowerment, let it fill those spaces as you allow all doubt and anxiety to crumble away. One more time, deep breath in through your nose. Squeeze and hold. Five, four, three, two, one, release. I just want to ask you, as you think about the best situation for you as you think about what it could be. Just say it. Don't think too hard. Yeah, to, to live in my purpose, to have this podcast be my career. There you go. So using the words I choose, I am committed to, or I am, I am. How would you put that into a sentence? I am living my purpose. Say it again. I am living my purpose. Beautiful. One more time. I am living my purpose. Beautiful. And just take your time when you're ready to open your eyes or just keep your eyes closed. So you just created an affirmation, one of many to come. It doesn't need to be complicated, but the point is you connected with you. You didn't wait for me to tell you what it should be. You're so cool. <laughs> <laughs> This has been so amazing. Seriously. I'm so glad we connected. You didn't know what you were getting yourself into. You thought I was just going to probably be just a, I don't know, boring old, boring old white girl. You didn't know. <laughs> you didn't know the Hogwarts <laughs> Express you were walking into here. <laughs> <laughs> so where can people find you, support you? What do you want to shell, shell away? Beautiful. Um, I would love for any listening to this show to follow the same process and share an affirmation with me on twitter i'm there at spoonface one 
tell me your affirmation of the day. That's my gift for you to connect with yourself. Take 45 seconds. Think of all you're grateful for and make a claim for what you want in your situation and let me know what it is. Outside of that, blissful release. Look on the App Store or on Google, Google Play. Oh, shit, blissful, I'm blissful release, that's my app. Nice. Um, where you can listen to some of my affirmations and meditations that might be soothing and encourage you. Cool. Um, what was I going to ask you? Oh, so what? Where's what's the spoon story? What's the backstory? So as a musician, my whole thing was you look into a spoon, you get something different coming at you. And that was always my approach with making music and actually about my life. I don't want to ever be what everyone thinks I should be. So it was, it was a self-proclaimed nickname. Absolutely. I wish that you would have said like, oh yeah, as a kid, like I just always carried a spoon with me. I, I also liked a spoon. Spooning's the greatest, yeah. right? Big, big or little? I'm Either. a ladle, you know that. <laughs> you <hit> the ladle. <laughs> well, this has been amazing. I'm so grateful for this time together and I hope that we can talk again sometime. You're welcome, it be my pleasure. Thank you so much. Come on with me, can't do nothing, can't do nothing, and it's great. Well, that wraps up today's episode. I know you heard some good shit in there. You are very, very welcome. Thank you, Elroy. That was wonderful. Uh, check out the show notes for all of his shit. You can also find links to my social media. I am at Adult Child Pod on Instagram and TikTok. You can also find the link to the Patreon folks. That's in there too. So next week I'm talking to Susan Anderson. She's kind of like the abandonment trauma guru. She has a she's a workbook called uh, Abandonment Recovery Workbook. It's really really good. She was awesome. It's a great conversation. So stay tuned for that and I'll see you then. I will see you then for another amazing episode of Adult Child. It's going to be super raw, super vulnerable, and I'm super excited for y'all to hear it. It's going to be a goodie, I promise. Don't let it all go